welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, film editor for InBetweenDrafts.com. Will, why are you sneaking up on me like that? And what's in your hands? Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's an iPod filled with the songs of the Smith. The Smiths and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was wondering why you rented out that WeWork across the street from the recording studio. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, just uh, just trying to make it in a uh, uncertain market, if you know what I mean. Now, we did just put out an episode pretty recently for the Marvels. Uh, I talked about the Marvels with Alicia Grouse, special guest. And uh, as a lot of listeners already know, Will was too chicken to watch it. But that's OK, because, Will, there's another movie we're talking about before we get to our episode about The Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Which, actually, I haven't even asked, technically. Are you going to skip that one, too? Do I got to find somebody else? No, I plan to watch that. Was I called a chicken, for real? For not watching Alicia did not call you a chicken, but, I mean, I I think she was just being a little bit nice. I think we were both thinking it. Okay. It's what what you deserve for all the gruff you give me about the horror movies. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty proud of myself for putting my foot down and not watching the Marvels. I'm actually proud of it, too. I hope it... I, I I should point that out, actually. Thanks, Dad. You're welcome, son. (laughs) Um, We're talking about The Killer, which, to give this a little bit of context, so I I watched this a while ago because it did have a limited theatrical release. We're talking about it now because it is actually, well, let me actually walk through the beginning of it. It premiered at Venice International Film Festival. Want to have that context, of course. And uh, that was back in September. And then it got its limited theatrical in October, October 27th. So it's been a couple weeks since I've seen it, and now it's streaming on Netflix. And it's interesting because, I think it started streaming on Netflix last week. It's kind of an interesting release because this is a big David Fincher movie. His last movie was also Netflix, but it didn't get that limited theatrical run. I think because at the time, you know, it was Mank. And I think that we were kind of in a different place with movie theaters and streaming and things like that, right? Well, it did It did go to theaters. Um, but was it, it was super def- limited, though? I feel like it was more limited than this run, if I'm not mistaken. Perhaps. I mean, I... Uh, with my family and a few friends, I rented out a theater to see Mank. That's right. Yeah, uh, I know it did get a uh, you know at least a partial theatrical run. And I think I don't know. I mean, I don't know why Mank came to theaters here, but not The Killer. But uh, I guess that's neither here nor there. I wasn't able to see The Killer in theaters, which is partially why uh, this is uh, coming out a little bit later because I had to watch it on Netflix, which. I don't know. I mean, it's first world problems, but I was a little disappointed <laughs> that I couldn't see this theatrically. I, I, I feel like Netflix kind of tends to do a disservice to uh, their their Fincher films and some of their other art auteur films because they compress the image. And I feel like they, they put so much time and effort to like, making these films look cinematic. And then the, the hosts of these films don't really uh, uh, pay them service outside the theater. Uh, and I think that was certainly the case with Mank. I think that's why people were a little bit more critical of that film. Because I, I, in seeing it in theaters, it looked gorgeous, but I can see why if you watched it on a compressed uh, Netflix uh, app or on on, on uh, their service, it would look not as good. So Yeah, yeah I, mean, I feel like I was lucky enough, because I, I got to see Marriage Story, The Two Popes, and The Irishman, and a few other kind of Netflix movies on the big screen. And I think yeah. that, that that does make a big difference in enjoying those movies, for, I think for me at least. Yeah, I mean, I got to see those, thankfully, uh, theaters as well, as long as uh, Pinocchio last year, which is one of my favorites. I'm like, still very jealous favorites. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just recently watched uh, uh, White Noise in theaters, uh, at Repertoire Theater. They showed that. And uh, yeah, I mean, that movie also, I feel like, probably 
was uh, hurt by not getting a, a more <laughs> prominent theatrical run. Don't look uh, up. I remember had like at least a yeah. month. You know, it, it, and it, yeah, sometimes it really does come down to like how much hope that they have in the movie. Yeah, and the Glass Onion as well. I guess that was another prominent. That and Don't Look Up are probably but, the most prominent. Yeah, network, but uh, Glass yeah. Onion was only like a week. But I guess they did come back, didn't they? I, I'm trying to remember the Glass Onion drama. I mean, it was only in theaters for about a week, but they they put it in all like the main run theaters. Uh, you know, in a way that like only that, and I think um, uh, the the Don't Look Up really got like considered a wide release because a lot of the times. Uh, when it comes to these Netflix films, like at least in my market, like only a select few theaters either have the option or are willing to uh, show these movies theatrically. Uh, assuming, you yeah. know, like, a lot of people won't show up because they're like, oh, I'll just wait for that to be on Netflix, which is understandable. I actually uh, remember the first Netflix movie I ever saw in a movie theater. It was uh, the Myrowitz stories, weirdly enough. I, random, I guess, but yeah. Yeah, I watched that one on Netflix. I wanted to see that in theaters, obviously. I mean, I think uh you know it's it's kind of a disappointment that the the most recent noah bombback movies have uh had very limited theatrical runs but yeah. uh, i am i am sad though that uh that theater that i saw it at in san francisco closed last february oh. and um yeah that was that was really sad that was a a landmark theater at the embarcadero in san francisco great theater but saw a lot of great stuff there and uh, i was so sad when it shut down but Anyway, we're here to talk about The Killer. And you know what? Of all those movies, though, I think The Killer, I don't know if you'll agree since you only saw it on Netflix. After I watched it, so I saw it at the Alamo Draft House. And I got to be honest, I, I at least compared to Mank and a few other things, I didn't feel like I had to see it in a theater. Like right afterward, I was kind of like, you know, I'm glad I saw it in a theatrical environment. That was cool. But at the same time, I, I just kind of found myself being like, I would have been also fine seeing this movie. It's not to even speak of the quality of it, but for a David Fincher movie, for a movie where he's reuniting with Andrew Kevin Walker, his screenwriter yep. for seven. Right. It's kind of like a bit more of like a ch not chill movie, but it's a little bit smaller in scope and scale than I guess you would expect sure. for like, I'm going into a movie theater to watch a David Fincher movie, reteaming up with Andrew Kevin Walker and it's award season. I guess a part of me was sort of being like, oh, I'm going to be getting something like really big. I mean, getting something like Zodiac or something. Um, I probably wouldn't have thought that if I'd watched the trailer. But instead, I I kind of got like no sudden move, which is cool. I liked that movie, but I, I definitely wasn't like, man, if only I could have seen this like, you know, this latest film from a really well-known director is always good at making stuff look good. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, you were talking about the TIFF premiere, and I feel like that was just the general sort of vibe. Like, I think there was obviously a lot of buzz building up to it, and it seemed like the initial reaction critically from the film festivals was, like, not negative. Like, it was positive, but a little bit more subdued. It was more like, oh, okay, yeah, it's, like, it's good. It, it seemed, though, that, like, people thought it was going to be something maybe a little bit more grandiose and something a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, thematically heavy or something like that like you're suggesting with zodiac or seven or uh seven but um and michael yeah, fassbender i mean he's a yeah. really great actor so you know i know some people disagree some people are like oh, michael fassbender has always been a hack which okay you can say that if you want but it doesn't make it right no i mean if anything i thought it was a relief to see fassbender in something like this again because i feel like well for one he's been on a bit of a hiatus uh like this this and uh next goal wins are like his first film since uh dark phoenix which is back in like 2019 
And then, you know, like I, I saw Mexico wins, uh, prior to, uh, watching, uh, the killer. And I don't know if we'll ever get around to doing a, uh, review of that if you're going to watch it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. But he had, a, he had a kid, like he and Alicia Vikander, they they had a kid a couple years ago, and I think he's been kind of like, you know, chilling. Chilling, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I will say, uh, without getting to that film too much, I, I did feel like watching that film in theaters uh, screening as opposed to watching this movie at home on Netflix, it was like, you know, why is fate allowed me to watch a glorified Hulu exclusive on the big screen the best possible presentation but when it comes to a new david fincher film like this one i have to watch it in the comfort of my own mm. home you know a small uh bird in the bear but uh, i honestly don't know if i'm gonna yeah. see next school wins i think i'm too scared i'm too chicken to watch that one i see yeah and you're the the, the bigger taika waititi fan than, than me that's the thing is like i, I you look I've, I've been running into some issues with all that haven't i uh by the way i do have to shout out that michael fassbender is going to be in kung fury 2 which oh, i yeah. could not be more excited about his involvement with that however small it could possibly be it could be big i don't know i don't know much of anything about it at all except that david sandberg is on it so yeah i genuinely forgot that was coming out uh i don't know when it's coming out for a long time yeah um but anyway, yeah, let's talk about The Killer. The Killer is, as, as we already said, new David Fincher, uh, his latest film since Mank. And uh, unless I'm missing something, he did like a concert film. I don't think he's done anything else. But uh, no, yeah, so as we mentioned, this is Andrew Kevin Walker. He he and, he and Walker did Seven together back in, in 1996, and uh, or 1995, rather. Um, Walker's gone on and do other stuff. Uh, he, he did a movie last year called windfall. We didn't, uh, neither of us saw it or watched it. I want to say, um, he's done other stuff like, uh, the Wolfman, sleepy hollow. Uh, he, he's, he's done a lot of like grimmer, grim, dark kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I, uh, another uh, Netflix film windfall. Forgot about that one. Yeah. That's the one with, uh, Lily Collins, Jesse Plemons. Uh, I don't know why we didn't talk about it. I think it was, it was like a spring release or something and just kind of got lost in the shuffle. Uh, Jason Siegel too. But uh, anyway, so this movie, uh, first of all, I'll say I did like this movie. I don't I don't want it to make I want to get ahead of that. Um, this is based on a graphic novel. It's uh, a novel, a graphic novel that came out some time ago. It's a French graphic novel by Luc Jacquemont. So, yeah, don't don't get it confused with the other French, you know, the what was it? The Valerian and the Thousand Planets or whatever that oh, yeah, Luc Besson yeah. did or whatever. Um, this is way more chill. Uh, it's a little bit more gritty and uh, down to earth. And uh, it, uh, this series, yeah. this series is by um, uh, someone named Mats um, Alex Nolent and illustrated by Luke Shackman. Yeah, uh, but anyway, is, yeah. Uh, no tin tin. <laughs> That's what you're implying. Uh, in this movie, he plays Fassbender plays a, an unnamed assassin who has been assassinating people for a long time now kind of a veteran at this and we kind of start the movie with him just doing like yet another job and we kind of get introduced to his kind of his routine like how he does this stuff and one of the first things you kind of notice about this character there's two big things you notice first is that he has running narration so he you know lots of voiceover in this which i think has been polarizing some folks and when he does his narration it's kind of like he's trying to explain to the audience, like, this is what it takes to be an assassin. This is kind of my day to day. You know, this is what you have to do. It's like, don't trust anybody. Kind of some cookie cutter stuff, kind of some interesting stuff sprinkled in there. Then I think the other thing you kind of notice about him is that he's really a modern 
assassin. This movie does a lot to kind of emphasize like what an assassin in 2023 would be like, you know, so he's not like, uh, you know, renting out a hotel room to set up his sniper rifle nest. He's not even renting out an Airbnb. He's literally renting out a WeWork, you know, that's one of our first kind of cues. He, he's a very like brand focused sort of assassin in the sense that he will literally like like I go to McDonald's because that's like the best bang for your buck. If you want some protein, you know, he uses Amazon same day delivery service to, you know, get a device he can use to, to dupe a key fob. Yeah. You know, there, there's all kinds of like stuff sprinkled in there. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Like also like Hertz rent a car and like all these different like companies and services are, yeah. Given, uh, I guess, uh, you know, like good product placement <laughs> in this film. Yeah. But the, it, it kind of serves a purpose. It, it's a little bit like baby's first movie about capitalism, I guess, in some ways. Like you can read a lot of things into it of like the consumer and, you know, like this is what capitalism does. It, it, it's really not a pretentious movie, though. It, it's, it's not really trying to be about much of anything except for kind of just like a, a character who appears to be neurodivergent, who appears to kind of be like kind of lying to himself with his narration and it's more of a movie kind of unpacking like how a person could get to this sort of place there might be some distance there like i could see some people watching this and being a little bit like that's this is interesting like i'm enjoying this but i've kind of seen this movie before you know this has its own like little tricks up its sleeve but it's not that remarkable in any specific way i I would point to like there's a tilda swinton scene in this that it certainly stands out and uh, there's a big action set piece uh, that is that's fun to watch. But I'll say, you know, I didn't think the movie was killer. Uh, but what did you think? Oh, I yeah, I had a blast with this movie. And it's weird to say like that because I, I recognize that. Like, to me, this is a highly entertaining, uh, tense film. Uh, but I, I recognize that, uh, you know, like for some people, this might be a little slow, a little plotting. They don't make movies like this anymore. I I was kind of thinking about that. I was like, I feel like this will hit the scratch and itch that I think you typically want scratch that other movies aren't doing. Yeah, but I, yeah, it kind of reminded me of. Um, do you remember the movie The American with George Clooney? And I Vaguely, think yeah. Lot, yeah, I mean I, that was a movie. I feel like it's better than its reputation gave it gave it credit, and that was a film where I think people were expecting that to be, uh, you know, a little bit more action oriented, a little bit more like pulpy and that was just kind of recognizing that the life of a a assassin is just kind of mundane and like very detail oriented and all that stuff and i i like that movie a good bit i recognize that it's not everyone's cup of tea but with this one it's a lot more in that kind of pulpy vein but i think what's appealing about it especially as like a david fincher fan is that it seems to be him kind of taking the piss out of himself a little bit uh, it's hard to like talk about that more specifically without getting into some potentially spoilery aspects, but uh, suffice it to say, yeah, like you said, like there's the character of that that Michael Fassbender plays, the assassin character, is like you said, this one is very meticulous. He's very detail oriented. He's very much trying to make sure all the ducks are aligned in a perfect way. And if anyone knows about you know the the process that uh, David Fincher goes into. You know, he has kind of like this Kubrickian like desire to like be doing multiple takes and kind of get like everything exactly as he wants it to. And this movie seems to kind of recognize that like such a life is bound to be, you know, if not unfulfilling, then doomed to fail in some respect because he, the world doesn't work that way. And, and you know, once uh, something goes awry, 
uh, as it does here, then you're kind of left on your own to like figure out uh, how to handle that. And, and I think that's been, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how autobiographical this movie is per se, but I do, I do know that Fincher has kind of had some, you know, projects like, you know, he did a few things for HBO that never came to be like that. He was shooting and then like got scrapped and then like Mindhunter got canceled prematurely. And I don't want to assume that that's what's at play here, but I just feel like he does really see at least some part of himself in this character, but he's also recognizing just the kind of uh, buffoonery of this character. And there's a lot of like fun, uh, intentionally kind of humorous details throughout one such cases that uh, all these different identities that he has when he like rents a car or gets a hotel or what have you are all different, like sitcom character names. And, you know, because yeah, yeah. like they're, um, you know, like sitcoms are going into like, you know, like the sixties or the seventies, a lot of the younger characters interacting with have no idea who they are. So he has like one that's like Archibald bunker, but has like, you know, it's like, like a German spelling of it. And just, no one that was one like, of the ones where I was like, yeah. this is kind of stretching incredibly sure. a little bit. Cause I feel like that's like a what some of them I was like, oh, that's funny. And others I was just like, oh, come on. Yeah. No, I, I, I just think, I don't know. I, I do recognize that. Uh, I think it's a movie that's kind of putting the horse before the cart. Like, I think above all else, it is a fun, you know, entertaining thriller. If you kind of like this brand of, uh, um, you know, character focused thrillers, but I, I do see it more as being just like you said there's the political stuff there but it's not really highlighted on too much it's there if you want to read into it but it's also just being this fun entertaining thriller and it makes really great use of the kind of stoicism and uh the sort of um i want to say like self-awareness of someone like michael fassbender who can be you know like a little bit more pronounced in certain roles but there is kind of this like edge to him and i think a movie like mexico wins was trying to lean into some of the inherent comedy of that but way overplaying it and and just making him seem miscast whereas with this it plays into like a dry kind of darkly wry sense of humor uh that i think really really works well for michael fassbender and it was just like a relief to see him do something like this that really plays to his strengths again yeah, I think this movie really leans into also like what's kind of terrifying about Michael Fassbender, <laughs> the way that he can like so easily like blend into a crowd, but also he he's Michael Fassbender, like look at him, you know what I mean? Right. And so, yeah, that kind of stuff. I was like, this this is such a perfect role for him, quite honestly. And he still has that physicality, even though like, you know, he's getting on up in years, but it's like there's there's a wariness to him that's really believable because in another scene he'll be so visceral and like he'll have such an aesthetic to his action scenes like i don't know how much of his stunts he was doing but i bought a lot of them <laughs> i never kind yeah. of felt like i had to yeah yeah like i had to like like struggle to be immersed can i say one thing about my theater experience too is because sure. i was in a very awkward place with this movie so if you don't know about the alamo draft house the way it works is you buy your ticket and you pick a seat and this was in a smaller theater, right? There weren't a ton of seats. There was only like three rows. And when I bought my ticket, there were plenty, like almost all the seats were still open. I bought my ticket and it was like kind of like in, not in the middle, middle, it was in like the back row or whatever. And so I go into the theater and like, when you pick your seat, like you can't change your seat, like that's it. And right. so when I was, so when I go to sit down and not like three minutes into it, like there's two other people in the theater at this point. 
this guy, this son of a, he sat, he literally picked the seat right next to me. It was so freaking awkward. And we were in an almost empty theater and I'm watching this assassin movie with this dude who buys like a flatbread. And I'm like, why? Like, it, it, I think it was his first time going to the Alamo and he didn't realize how close the seats are because it's you're literally like in a couple seat. So me and this bro, like the waiter must have been like, oh, how are you two doing today? And I'm like, I don't know this man. Like, he's kind of cute, but I don't want to like, you know, sure. be in this situation. So I kind of watched this room in a very awkward position where I'm just like, oh, OK, uh, but I still really enjoyed it. So that I think that's a testament to the movie that I was really sucked in. And I didn't, I didn't find myself being like, get me out of here. Even though, I mean, I can be, I, I probably don't sound it on this podcast. I probably sound like, Oh, John's extroverted. John will talk to anybody. No, John is very introverted. John likes his little bubble, his little space. And so, but I still had a good time despite all that stuff. No, I mean, I think that's kind of fitting though. Like that's kind of similar to like how Michael Fassbender like interacts with all these characters. Like he acts like he's, on no basis or that he's like fits in when he's clearly just, you know, performing. But what you're talking about though, seems like you live that one Zach Galifianakis joke. Do you know if you remember this where he's like, I like to go into a movie (laughs) like three weeks after it came out when there's only one other person in the theater and sit right next to them. And then when they go, excuse me, it's like, shh, Keanu's talking. (laughs) I don't know. It's a good throwback. Anyway, uh, one thing I did want to say, uh, regarding the fights that you're referring to, I think a lot of that kind of comes down to really strong, uh, fight choreography in the way that, you know, it plays to the strengths of the actors involved. And I don't know, like you said, um, how much Fassbender is involved, but I think that comes to the strength of, uh, the way that Fincher can direct the scene and also the choreographing or the choreographers can allow that to feel like real and present but also right. i like the fights because they're so kind of bombastic and over the top like it seems to be kind of also kind of winkingly nodding to like something like the john wick franchise and like the influence that they've had on um like action movies and thrillers of late where everything's a little bit more clean cut everything's a little bit like very choreographed and very precise in a way that seems to be kind of paying homage to the kind of clean digital photography that Fincher is known for. And I like that, like when we actually get like a big fight like this, not only is it kind of broad and big and over the top, but it's like in Fincher's own way, kind of messy and kind of all over the place. And like, not, you know, it's not like super, you know, directly choreographed in a way that like feels like the actors are performing their punches, but like that actually Michael Fassbender is like really getting walloped by this <laughs> big guy and yeah i think yeah, that was yeah. um i don't know i would think that was really smart on his part i also really like that this seems to be fincher's way of kind of getting out of his comfort zone a little bit by allowing you know like what would traditionally be very kind of precise and controlled filmography to represent the mindset of fassbender's character and then whenever like he's in an unsure or emotionally vulnerable place the camera gets a little shaky or it's on you know, not on like on a direct steady cam, it's a little bit more handheld. It shows like us like in his shoes, it allows us to understand like when he's like in control or he thinks he's in control and when things are kind of really going off the rails and you know getting messy. And I think that was really neat to see from Fincher's perspective. Yeah, I, I was gonna mention that I know some people thought the voiceover narration was a little much. One thing I liked about it was I always felt like it was dynamic. I always felt like as I was listening to it, 
and kind of like peeking into his mind, his headspace a little bit. I was always interested on like the times when he would not listen to himself. Like those are moments that kind of stuck out yeah. to me a little, right? It's like, don't trust anyone. And you watch him trust someone. It's like, don't yeah. draw attention to yourself. He smashes a, a phone right. off the sidewalk. And I was like, all right, you know, like, I, I, I guess some people have just like a natural aversion to voiceover. And I don't, I think that it can be easy to mess up. That's all. And I think some people are just like, well, that just means it's a crutch, like it automatically bad, which I, I don't think that's hardly ever the case. I think voiceover can be really effective. I, we should do it, a voiceover right now. Yeah. I think it can be effective uh, and it can be distracting. It kind of depends on the circumstance. But for me, I don't know. It kind of felt like almost like a parody of like a Paul Schrader movie. Hmm. Like, like, in the, like all he's missing is like a whiskey and like a black notebook and journal, you know, like that's it. Like he's kind of just writing his thoughts and like his manner. And like, obviously it's like about this kind of misanthropic, dark, elusive character. But yeah, I think to me, that's kind of, where the humor gets highlighted is the fact that like he acts like, okay, I have this all under control. This is what you need to know. But then he just almost instantly disregards most of, if not all of the advice that he gives uh, either to himself or I don't know, whoever he's speaking to throughout the film. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was all effective and uh, yeah, I can see why it bugs people, but it didn't bother me. Let's start with a negative impression. This is from Paul Harrington. One gave it two and a half stars. He said, I don't get the hype around this at all. Fight scene was class, especially the bit where he pulled the grater out of the drawer. I also really like that. Don't think this film will agree very well at all. Lots of current references, etc. going on. I was a bit disinterested. As Oisin put it, it's a thriller, but it's not that thrilling. Tilda Swinton was great as per. At the end of the day, I just didn't really care about what was happening. Stakes were low and nothing was shocking. We need to hold David Fincher to a higher standard than this mid. I think where I disagree is that, first of all, I think David Fincher is kind of allowed to make a mid movie. (laughs) Like, I think that he's allowed to make a movie that, not to say mid, but a movie that is a little bit lower stakes, uh, that is a little bit less like, like, I do hold it as a criticism, but I also don't think he's trying to make anything grand. And for the movie he's trying to make, I think he really pulls it off. I think then you're just sort of criticizing his career choices, which we don't have a right to do that. It's like, you can do whatever he wants. You know what I mean? He already okay. made Zodiac. He already made Seven. He already made a bunch of like incredible movies. It, it, if he wants to make something a little bit like more like this, that power to him, right? Let the man have fun. Sure. Um, I think to him, this is like, well, I could take a vacation where I can make the killer. Well, I think it's more like because I do think he worked hard on it. I, I'm, you know, being a little. Yeah, I, I don't think he ever half-asses anything. Yeah. But um, I mean, I think for him, it's very easy to see like, oh, this is a way to kind of you know, scale back a little bit as far as, uh, you know, Mank is a very personal, difficult film, I imagine, for him to make. It's, like, based on right. his late father's screenplay. It's 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 a little bit out of his comfort zone. It's, like, a, um, you know, like, stylistically different. So after that, he's like, I'm going to take a breather with this assassin revenge story. That, right. <laughs> But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think he, you know, like I said, I think it works on its own merits, but I think it is kind of more... Uh, commentary based and people are maybe giving it credit like i think it is saying stuff and i think it's especially saying stuff about the genre and the filmmaker right now but what do you yeah, think it's mean, saying about the genre because there are certain things i picked out of it myself but but what did you, what did you did in that respect well like i said i mean i think it is just him kind of looking at uh what the influence of his career has been to like the current like action thriller aesthetic and i think people get so like i think he he seems to be acknowledging at least for me that like people 
spend so much time replicating what they perceive as like good filmmaking or Fincher-esque filmmaking, but maybe focusing more on the style than the substance. And I think for him, he is kind of like, well, here's my way of doing this. But I'm like, but he's also kind of taking the piss out of it a little bit being like, you expect this to be one thing, but then it's going to turn into this other thing and be a lot broader and more comedic. And to me, that this is fun. Like it just allows the guy to, you know, kind of acknowledge some of his imitators and, and also kind of play against expectations, but also yeah, just make yeah. it, at the same time, like a really cool, fun movie that you would expect from David Fincher in that respect. You know, like it's, it's undeniably a Fincher movie. Like it's not him going coldly against the grain, but it also seems to be him also allowing himself to, you know, play a little bit goofier, broader than, than he usually ha- he does at this point in his career. I agree with that. Sure. I, I, one thing I mentioned in my review too, because, you know, I gave the movie a lot of praise in my review and, you know, I, one thing that I pointed out was I like how this movie is a little bit like the anti John wick. It's not trying to kind of like so many other, I guess, action movies and thrillers these days with assassins and gunplay. A lot of them are trying to be John wick. They're trying to be like, we're going to set up our own world. We're going to be like, there's this, there's this assassin world underneath our own and this movie is just a little bit more matter of fact about it it's like no no this is the real world like this isn't a fantasy version of the world and it's that's the point is that it's i think fincher kind of being like this could happen like that guy you know on the street maybe you should be a little paranoid you know he's kind of doing a little bit of like a you know the conversation you know going on a a little bit there so that is something i appreciate about the movie and uh, i do appreciate like what you're saying like he, he definitely like makes this movie look like it just it kind of moves pretty nicely with uh i mean fincher's always got great cinematography camera work going on uh eric messerschmidt uh did this one and i just think it's like a very he has a very human-centric approach to the way the camera moves and i think when you do that in a movie about bad people it's especially like pronounced and so yeah i I think that that's the kind of Fincher touch to what you're saying you're going to get with this movie. So you shouldn't expect something that's a little bit like, oh, anyone could have made this. Yeah, I mean, I, another thing that uh, that kind of reminded me, and you mentioned this uh, sort of with uh, No Sudden Move, is that weirdly this is probably the closest uh, Fincher has come to making like a Steven Soderbergh film. Something mm-hmm. that is like, you know, like a genre exercise that plays in his style. But, you know, like the material isn't inherently like, very dense and thematic like he kind of adds that stuff by playing in like a different playground yeah. uh and and you know it kind of reminded me of like haywire which is the soderbergh film that he did that's also like about an, like an assassin had michael fassbender in it as well um yeah i don't know it just it, it, it just and i know that soderbergh and, and fincher are very good friends so I, I don't think that's a unintentional in any respect but yeah i don't know it just seems like uh you know i can see why people are, are maybe calling this a, a mid-tier or lower tier uh fincher and i i don't know where it stands in the ranking of his films but i don't know i think it's a lot more fun and maybe even like smarter than people are giving it credit yeah i think it's what you're saying who cares where it ranks just meet it where it's at that, that's kind of where i stand um this is from som who gave it four stars so let's go a little bit more positive here uh som said a revenge thriller is what i really admire michael fassbender is absolutely perfect as the killer he has the calm yet a little panicky demeanor which works for the character showing he's a stone cold killer but also a human at the same time his panic though comes at times where he's about to do something bad to someone the story is amazing for me being a bollywood boy a man going on a solo revenge tour is just appealing for me and the fact that it's done in this grounded and realistic way is a plus though i wouldn't say this is fincher's best because obviously the standard is set high with his other movies this one's still story-wise holds its own and is a great watch yeah i think we've kind of touched on it but i just appreciate 
honestly, whenever I'm watching a movie with an assassin and they're allowed to make mistakes and it's like, it's about that. It's sort of about like, what if the competent assassin accidentally wasn't competent for a second? Like, that's pretty interesting. Sometimes it's usually like, oh, something external happens and it's like, how are they going to get out of this? Oh no, John Wick's dog died. Sure. No, this movie's a little bit more of like, oh yeah, he just kind of messed up. <laughs> so yeah. like, here's everything that spirals out of control because of that. He's still competent, but then when you start the movie that way, you're like, I don't know, will he get out of this? He's messed up before. Yeah, and I guess I should uh, clarify that. Like, obviously, the John Wick films, especially the later ones, are very comedic as well, and they also allow John Wick to kind of get you know messed around and mess up and all that stuff as well. I think for me, it's more the imitators that this yes. is kind of commenting on or, or or criticizing but yeah i mean i didn't think about it as a bollywood film but uh that is a fun way to look at this film for sure yeah it is a globe trotting or at least state <laughs> trot well no it's globe trotting yeah globe trotting uh, yeah 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 because yeah, he goes to the dominican yeah 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 that's a fun way to look at it um and then the uh, last one i have here this is uh, from uh uh hecate 13 hecate 13 gave it four and a half stars very positive review so here we go they said hearing the bad mixed reviews by or bad slash mixed reviews by so many including some of my friends i was prepared for this to be a disappointment instead i just watched probably one of my favorites of the year up there with oppenheimer or, or killers of the flower moon this movie is brutal, but at the same time is stupid as hell, and it knows that. We see that how we see how easy it is for the killer to kill. The name changes, the recognizable brands like Amazon, Starbucks, and even Wordle all add up to the funness of it all, the funniness of it all. Uh, how effing easy it is for the killer to use these things as a distraction and become a menace. At the same time, however, this is terrifying because of how real this is. Some people criticize the film because we don't see enough about the killer's life, but frankly, Mr. Shankly, I think it adds to the overall ambiguity of the film, as well as the character. Also, this will be me if I continue my Spotify premium for another year. Mm. <laughs> um, very fun uh, review there. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I think that that's uh, really astute that like, I did see some people being like, we don't get enough about the killer. We don't get his name. We'd, what's going on with the girl? Uh, who? No, that's not the movie. You're not, you're supposed to be learning about him through action. That's the thesis of the movie. And again, I think it's, it's, it's just one of those things where people are like, I want the movie to be like this, please be like this. Right. And it's like, well, sorry, it isn't like, you know, and it, that doesn't mean you have to like it, but uh, yeah. also you should criticize it for not doing the thing that you wanted to do. I mean, you do get like little breadcrumbs. Like you, you learn like, I mean, you know, it's his wife and then you learn like her girlfriend, uh, it's her girlfriend, his partner. And then you like learn that he was going to be like a law student and like, like you get like little things throughout, but I don't really think you need, cause he's like someone who's supposed to be, you know, kind of without a proper identity, like he's shifting through a uh, place. And I, if it got, it's like, if we down, got the name, of, it's like, if we got the name of the janitor from scrubs, it's like, sure. what did that do? I, know, I, just, the yeah, I mean, you know, it just kind of bogs it down. I think, I mean, unless, you know, they found a uh, organic way to include it into the film. But yeah, I don't think it, as it stands, I don't think the film is lacking because of that. I do also agree. Like this is, this does have dad movie energy. And I know they reference Oppenheimer and colors of the flower moon, uh, two of 2023's other, you know, dad bro movies, I guess. And, uh, nothing, nothing negative about that. I, you know, we've said many times in the show, we love us a good dad movie and sure. movies that kind of revel in the, you know, the, uh, testosterone of it all. Uh, obviously a place for that but uh okay 
that's all I had. And uh, I, yeah, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I'm glad we were able to uh, squeeze it in. I know the release was a l- made it a little trickier to talk about it, but now let's let's see what the critics have to say. Everybody cares about the critics, right, Lashin? Uh, sure. 235 reviews counted on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes game, what's your guess? What do you think? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I'm going to say 84%. 86%. That's actually really, really close. I was kind of like, mm, is he going to kind of go too low on this? I thought you might be going to the 70s, but no, well done. 86. Uh, so only two off. And then for audience score, we have a thousand plus ratings. What do you got? Uh, that's trickier. Um, I'm going to go one higher. I'm going to say 87%. Ooh, unfortunately, this is where I think the audiences are a little bit more like, uh-uh, this, I, I asked for David Fincher, I didn't get it. Uh, this is a 61% audience Ooh. score. Yeah, but it isn't a verified ratings. I, I would bet this is going to fluctuate a bit. Um, you know, a movie just came out on Netflix a week ago. I think it's probably still going to find its its folks and probably trickle up. Who knows? Uh, we don't have a cinema score, but we do have Letterboxd, of course. Um, and let's let's see. I actually haven't seen how many people have watched this so far on or logged it. Uh, yes, we have 276,000 logs on Letterboxd. That's way more than I was expecting. Holy cow. That's way more than like uh, Marvel's was <laughs> a couple days ago. Well, um, it is like uh, people are watching it. Like when I sure. play like the number one movie on Netflix right now, like it's being watched, you know. I guess people just aren't putting it on Rotten Tomatoes because I, I guess people do still kind of think of that as like, you know, theatrical stuff. But yeah, yeah. This is a letterbox movie. <laughs> if if uh, that's a good point, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. What do you think the average rating is, though? Uh, three point six. Ooh, Will Ashton. I can't remember the last time you called the letterbox one perfectly. Well done. Is it? Oh, yeah, cool. yeah. So I was going to do three point seven, but I was like, yeah, it seems a little too high. But yeah, no, 3. you nailed 6. it. All right, cool. Yeah, and then we have some friends of the show who like this as well. Isaac Feldberg gave it four stars, and he he can be a little bit of a stickler. That's a really high uh, review from uh, yeah. star rating from him. Love to see it. Uh, Ryan Oliver, friend of the show, gave it three and a half stars. Um, I know um, Emma Sasek reviewed it, and so I but I don't see her yet. Oh yeah, there we go. She gave it three and a half stars as well. So yeah, we had we had a lot of critic folks who saw this at TIFF, and you know they've been kind of saying like, hey, look out for this one. Uh, you're probably gonna like it. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to talk about it more. I was definitely curious to hear why you thought the character was neurodivergent, but I mean, I know we're running short on time. <laughs> yeah, I had to throw that right at me at the very end. Why he's neurodivergent? Um, I think the way that he his social interactions, uh, the way that he connects with people, and and it it kind of reminds me of experiences that uh, I've observed in both myself um, and other people who you know are self described as neurodivergent look it's a total spectrum and yeah, you can't yeah. always say 100 percent, right but i just kind of got that energy of like that's the intention uh, that he you know is somebody who it's not that he doesn't pick up on social cues because i think that can be a misnomer of like oh people right. who are neurodivergent they don't know how to like no if anything they're people who really can understand social cues because they have like a more uh logical like approach to them and so that's kind of where i got that sense from the character i could be off uh but th- that's just kind of where I, how i read it yeah i don't know i mean i'm not saying you're wrong i just that's not a thought that crossed my mind it's interesting but yeah uh yeah thanks for clarifying i always I want to be careful because i know some people that can be you know interpreted as a little bit sure. of, you know it, it can be some people can say that that's not a good thing that characters and movies shouldn't you know take lightly that sort of thing so yeah i do think it's important to, to stress it yeah, I mean, I think other people, I, I don't think you're as blase about it as maybe some other viewers or critics might be. But yeah, I, I just you're I, like, watch yourself, though. Yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> generally something that didn't cross my mind. And but I'm not saying, you know, it's not there. I'd, I'd be curious to rewatch it with that in mind. 
That's probably the first thing I would probably ask David Fincher about if I talked to him uh, personally. But anyway, uh, next movie we have on the slate, we're going to be talking about The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Uh, there's some other things in, in the wings. Uh, I know we want to talk about All of Us Strangers uh, at a certain point. Oh, yeah. I would love to chat with that. We've both seen it at this point. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'll see Thanksgiving. I missed my screening and I do uh, want to see it. I do yeah. want to talk about it. I think that could be a lot of fun. Um, and Saltburn. Saltburn is still on my list. Saltburn, The Holdovers, May, December. Yeah, hold- There's some great stuff out. May, December, the Todd Haynes film uh, review of that is on In Between Drafts now from Allie Johnson. I yeah. just I I have been struggling to make screenings because I've just been very busy. And uh, I know you've been busy. You just had a film festival uh, in Pittsburgh. And uh, yeah, yeah. So you, you've been kind of watching lots of stuff, but like it's award season's in full swing and we got all these things in the week. The curse is out. I haven't watched an episode yeah. yet. Yeah, Priscilla and the Anatomy of a Fall. There's a lot of stuff right now. There is, there is, and so there's no shortage of good things. Now I know we only we don't always get to get to everything, and we always want to listen to you all. Um, so if you ever want to connect with us and chat with us about stuff you want us to at least mention on the show or talk about, uh, we do have a Discord. We don't always hype it up, but we do have a Discord with the it's the In Between Drafts Discord. It's linked, and uh, we have a Cinemaholics channel there and so i'm always checking the discord and uh, i i bring things to will's attention he doesn't always check the discord but you know i i'm happy to uh to to loop him in on whatever may come uh, and of course we have our email as well right. but uh, yeah that's it did it all right bye thanks so much for listening everyone from the area of california i'm john agroni around the area of pennsylvania i'm Washington. see you next time